Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. We are not the champions, my friend. This is your post-World Series Bleacher Blums. Welcome to the Bleachers. I am Jeff Blum. I am the current master of banter, self-proclaimed for the Houston Astros, everybody's favorite team, according to social media. Across the way out there on the left coast is David Tuttle, a just all-around good dude, All-American, Team USA, played a ton of baseball professionally and collegiately. He is a pitcher. I am a hitter, and we compare notes quite often, but we've got some opinions, and we like to opine about baseball and life itself. But here we are in the bleachers, Tuttle. Were you surprised by the outcome of the World Series? Great question. Good, good lead off too. Um, welcome into the bleachers, everyone. I, I was, and I'll tell you why. Mainly because what we say all the time is experience, and I really thought. So I guess I'm not surprised since the Braves won Game Six, but I thought if it went seven, then the Braves had no shot. So I thought I actually thought Game Six was a must win, and they approached it that way. But um, I think when it was three to one, I was thinking the Astros still way in it because. Experience in the postseason means a lot, and uh, I think the Braves surprised a lot of people. I saw they won 44 games in the first half, and everyone talked about how they caught fire at the trade deadline and did all these great things. They won 44 games in the second half, <laughs> so they're 44 and 44 wins on either half, which isn't horrible, but it's not lighting the world on fire. And we looked at the Giants and the Dodgers and the Rays and the Astros and even the Red Sox, who uh, you know strung some you know, better records together, but also seemed more consistent. So I think overall, it's pretty surprising that the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. But the eyeball test will tell you, and I think if you listen to this podcast, we again talk about pitching and defense. I mean, really, the question mark for the Astros all year long was never their offense. Um, It was going to be their bullpen. And conversely, the bullpen of the... uh, the Atlanta Braves was probably the MVP, and we brought up the Royals bullpen before. They had a really good recipe, and they were hot at the right time. So I guess they surprised everybody, including myself, by winning it all. But I think when you look at it by the numbers, I, I think it was probably the right outcome. I don't know what you think, since your heart is obviously in Houston. But um, you know, I think the nice thing about being an athlete is the outcome's the outcome. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter about your feelings, does it? Ultimately, like I feel like no, that's definitely a, that's a fan thing to have the have all the feels and what. But you know what? It was a little bit disappointing just because, you know, I think they overachieved. The Astros did a little bit just getting to the World Series because they were kind of limping into the World Series without Lance McCullers Jr. Zach Greinke wasn't at his best. Uh, you know, they're relying on Framber Valdez, a second year pitcher, and Luis Garcia, who's a rookie. I think that's where they kind of showed their weakness a little bit and they were going to have to rely on that offense. But having watched the Astros over the course of the season, we have seen them go in these deficits or these slumps uh, offensively where they just disappear. And in the games that they lost, we compared it to on that last podcast, some of the numbers, how uh, the big three, the Altuve, Bregman, and Correa, if they don't show up, this team doesn't show up. It's, you can rely on Alvarez and Tucker for a limited time, but you need more of a lineup when you're going into these playoff-type situations. And the offense, what blew me away is that they got shut out in game six. That was shocking to me, and it almost felt like those first, you know, that first home run from Soler that literally went out of the stadium, by the way was really the punch that I think put them back to the mat. Uh, 
you know, I think that really took a lot of wind out of them, and they realized that they were going to have to fight back again against a very good bullpen like Tuttle was talking about. And then Max Freed all of a sudden turns into an ace, and he shut them down. But the shutout is probably what shocked me the most. It's it's disappointing to lose uh, lose the final game of a series in that fashion because you feel like you just did you didn't give a you know a counter punch. You just kind of took your beating and went home. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of this goes back earlier in the series for me, and I want to go back a little bit and re- kind of retrace some of the steps and maybe tear off some of the scabs for Astro fans as they listen to this. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> because, you know, game four was probably the most pivotal game in that series because it was a 3-2 to two loss, and I really believe it was a game that the Astros could have won. But uh, the base is loaded in the first inning for the Astros. They only score one run. Credit the Atlanta Braves for getting out of that. Uh, I can't remember the poor kid's name, but his last name is Wright uh, for the Atlanta Braves. Pitched his tail off in that game, getting out of damage, coming in relief, giving some quality innings, keeping the game close enough for guys for their offense to come out and and eventually blast their way into that win off of Christian Javier. Uh, Granky pitched extremely well in that game. I don't know if he could have gone any longer, but he gave some. He gave four phenomenal innings for them. Uh, Correa and Bregman actually uh, didn't do much in that game. Uh, the use of the bullpen for me with the Astros in that game was a little sketchy for me. Using Stanek before Christian Javier kind of worried me a little bit. And I know that the reason they used Stanek was for higher leverage, but still it put Javier later in a game. And I think that got to him a little bit where he ended up giving up a couple of home runs. Oh, man. Eddie Rosario's catch in, in left field on Altuve, which could have started a rally with the no-look catch. Dude, blew my mind <laughs> with that one. Uh, then they eventually, in a, in a one-run game, double-switched out their, the American League best hitter with uh, Yuli Gurriel. So some things going on there, but any thoughts on those uh, big plays in that game four, Tuttle, that I just rattled yeah, off and no, just I gave you that, way too much information? <laughs> no, no, no. I think it definitely turned the the series for sure. I mean, I think Granke in this series will be remembered for his hitting, not his pitching. But, you know, that, that was kind of a funny little side story. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, two things. One is... We said this all year long, and this is what people say. Like, if you found yourself in the World Series with this, you know, with this scenario, would you be happy? And I think, yeah, all along, since podcast number one on, you know, uh, you know, you and I have always been even keel, and yeah, one hitter, yeah, one pitcher, and this is how. But we've always said pitching and defense in the playoffs, and that's what makes it. And if you just look at this series, you don't know what their records are coming in, pitching and defense. And I think uh, mm-hmm. I I would throw this back to you, but I'm going to answer your question. I just think, is it a slump, a true slump? Like, you know, somebody said Bregman was dealing with some personal stuff or he still might have had a lingering injury. Obviously, Jordan was not the same hitter. But is that all attributed to these guys, like putting pressure on themselves and not feeding off each other? Or a lot of it has to do with pitching. The other thing is Max Fried was 14 and 7 this year with like a 304. I mean, the game 2 that he lost, he didn't get smashed around the yard. I mean, I think he did change the way no. he threw in game 6, but he was like he got kind of what do they say, death by a thousand cuts, right? Those are those games where you come mm-hmm. back in and you just want to tweak something. And so I think when you start looking at playoff baseball and playoff um playoff kind of 
strengths and weaknesses, we always say pitching and defense. And in this series, the pitching and defense, I think we're stronger on the Atlanta Braves side. And then to answer your question, I think, and I can only speak to the pitching standpoint, you know what Dusty's trying to do. You're looking at that going, yep, Stanek, that's a higher leverage situation. He's used to being a setup guy, even a late inning guy, but I need him to close this out right now in inning four or five. But I think you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right. It flips the switch where it's like, ooh, Javier's now in the seventh inning or the eighth inning sixth, seventh, or eighth, something like that, where that's a typical setup guy, not a long guy. And Javier's been going two or three innings at times. And I think that does change. I love that you're trying to get your best players in the game at the right time, but I still think you can use them in that order. And you know this too. Like the best hitters, sometimes you ask somebody, what were you thinking on that pitch? What are they doing? It's like the best hitters, like Miguel Cabrera could not tell you. Manny Ramirez certainly, well, I was looking fastball, but I saw him like (laughs) hold it. Like these guys are C ball, hit ball. I think the same thing Mm -hmm. happens with pitchers. Put put Christian Javier in the game in an inning that he's used to. And if it's high leverage, he doesn't really know or care. He knows when he comes in, he's got to go two or three innings. But I think we've seen that over the past four or five years. Joe Madden did it. Um, he got questioned. Kevin Cash did it, although you know he had a really strong pitching staff. These guys, it's the analytics team. It's everything else. But as a fan, you're thinking, man, they're out thinking themselves. And I think Dusty's a great manager. Yeah. He's done some great things. But I felt the same way you did. I think they were outthinking themselves, and that was my gut reaction. That the Astros, they have a, their bullpen, actually became a strength later in the year. But I think they outthunk themselves, for lack of a better word, at that time. And and I think that's where you were headed. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. You know, earlier in the game, I think it would have been better for Javier. He might have been a little more under control. And I think if things did kind of spiral out of control for him, then you have somebody backing him up, and you still have plenty of innings left for your offense to come out and pick him up. If that were the case, say he gave up those two two home runs in that fifth or sixth inning, believe might might have been the fifth inning when Stanek came in. If he gives up those home runs in that fifth inning, you've got three or four more innings to go out there and do that your 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 offense isn't in panic mode but uh you know they they brought in stanick earlier in the situation where they felt they desperately needed to get out of it and it put that tuttle's right it thrust javier into a situation maybe you know not necessarily uncomfortable in but maybe it's a little bit too early in his career to come in i think the expectation uh for a young pitcher not having had a lot of those experiences maybe got on him a little bit he made some mistakes with pitches you know the fastball was running all over the place a couple of sliders backed up and hung out over the plate i you know i really this is really nitpicking though but i feel uh, wasn't it Dansby Swanson that hit that uh, opposite field home run to tie it up? Yeah, it was. So he went, if you were watching that at bat, and I don't know, if, for whatever reason, this one stuck in my head. He was throwing sliders consistently, or he's throwing uh, sliders consistently, and Dansby didn't put a good swing on one of them. He kept chasing them off the edges, fouling them off, not putting a good pitch, and then he pumped a fastball right down the middle. And Dansby got to it. I felt like if you could have buried a slider there or maybe stayed on the off speed or, you know, in, in hindsight, if you would have located that fastball better or even wasted it, I, you know, I just feel like throwing a strike in the zone at that point wasn't exactly the best idea right there. And I don't know if you want to talk to that a little bit about, you know, you can use that fastball to set up another slider or, you know, pick a better position to throw that fastball in. You you, you can throw the pitch you want, but just you've got to be very good with the location. And he left that one out of the plate and Dan's if he made him pay. Absolutely. And I, I was thinking the same thing. It wasn't, it was pitch selection a little bit, but I think, mm-hmm. okay, the great thing about baseball, and maybe I've said this on the podcast before is, I, I used to have this argument in the minor leagues with this guy who kind of he was a you know a ball double a guy too so great 
but he was like a self-proclaimed like you know guru right like well this is what he's thinking this is what he's doing and you're like all right so i have a question for you uh genius what you know and this is you know on a bus like riding 18 hours like what pitch do you think good <laughs> fastball hitters get out on the most and he's like change up and i'm like no fastball it just has to be located well. Like these guys all want to hit a fastball. You just can't hit, you know, you just can't hit the barrel of the bat. And now we've seen mm-hmm. it more because there's higher velocity and guys are looking for it. So I totally agree. And we kind of had this conversation a couple podcasts ago, but my I had a pitching coach get mad at me because I knew this guy couldn't hit the sinker. And I kept going sinker, 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 sinker. And the one he hit, you know, it might not have been located as well, but he was, the pitching coach was saying, hey, look, you can't throw him 12 sinkers in a row. And I thought, I thought mm-hmm. I could. I agree with you. Dansby's swing on those breaking balls was not good. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't, you know, fastball's different because you're thinking, oh, you know, you're going to speed up his bat or you're going to do whatever. But these guys are all good fastball hitters. So, I I mean, you know, the only thing I can say there is I concur, right? So a better located breaking ball and then a fastball up out of the zone, like give him a show me fastball that he might chase. And you saw him chase it. You saw Albies chase that, you know, against um, a couple of the guys with that that elevated fastball. They see it really well. Riley even, Riley looks like an outstanding hitter, but the ball that he didn't get to was kind of just that elevated fastball. And so I'm watching along going, all right, let's make sure we hit our spots. I also want to say, you said Soler hit that ball out of the stadium. Those were also (laughs) poorly located and executed pitches it doesn't it's not that garcia doesn't have good stuff the three one pitch he threw the get me over slider and soler took it and you're like all right it's three two do not throw that again that's not a good feel that you want to have right nicely done and then so he throws him a fastball that was down the middle and he got a piece of that and so garcia's thinking all right now he's thinking dead red but he threw him that mm-hmm. same spinning slider. And you and I both know, uh, pitcher, hitter, otherwise, <laughs> those were the worst pitches th- that I ever threw and the best pitches. <laughs> those are the ones that got popped up or smashed. But yeah, mm-hmm. that that cement mixer was not going to stay in the stadium. Not after 3-1, get me over. He fouls off the fastball. And so I think this all ties into the same subject, which you know I see you nodding yeah. along. I mean, this is these are... It's about execution, and Greg Maddox would be a great guy to ask about this, but he liked to do less in those situations. And I think what happens, you mentioned Christian Javier, these guys are trying to do more. Yep. And anytime you try and do more, you grip that ball tighter, you try and throw it a little bit harder, guess what suffers? Your location and your movement. And big league hitters, they they feed on that stuff. Yeah, they do. They're all great points. Uh, you know, th- that, you know, what you said about Greg Maddox, you know, he tries to do a little bit less in some of those higher leverage situations. That's exactly what Jesse Barfield told me. It goes louder the crowd, softer the pitch. And if you focus more on the actual delivery of the pitch instead of trying to spin the hell out of it, because you know as well as I do, if you overthrow a slider or curveball, that's usually the one that pops out of your hand or it's the one that gets out in front of home plate and just stays there spinning on a tee for those guys to hit out of the ballpark. Speaking of hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Let's get to game five. I thought this is where the Astros might have had a chance to really, you know, put the put the Braves away. But there was a big swing early in that game from Austin Riley going the opposite field. No, Duvall. I'm sorry, Duvall hit the home run. It was a grand slam. Do okay. I, I have never been more sick of grand slams in my life. If if I'm Brent Strom, the hitting coach or pitching coach for the Astros, who is retiring by the way, or at least stepping away from the Astros, 
How many Grand Slams can you give up on the postseason and still be able to get to the World Series? It was unbelievable how many Grand Slams this pitching staff gave up. And they gave up another one to Duvall in that first inning of Game 5. And amazingly enough, the Astros came back. But I don't know how you felt watching that, if you were watching it. As soon as that ball left the ballpark, dude, I sat back on the couch. Like, all the blood rushed out of my body and went, oh, no, this is it, man. It's over. I couldn't believe it. That was Halloween night, wasn't it? Yeah. I think the trick-or-treaters had me going back and forth to the door, and I'm watching the game. And uh, Oh, I, I've got minions for that, dude. Oh, there you go. Well, my minions were out <laughs> still trick-or-treating. We, I, I had minions were doing other things that night but i'll i'll hire some minions next year actually i'm in the i'm in the tweener right eventually i'll have the minions at home um <laughs> anyway i uh i thought the game was over as well i mean jenna you know my daughter who loves the astros was mm-hmm. just like sunken she's like oh game over i'm going trick-or-treating like you know it was right away it was early <laughs> on in the evening she's like game was over. you know then it's five to two five to four you know i mean it just i don't know i mean the Grand Slams, the Brent Strom thing, and you know, we all know as we get older, we get less tolerant. And maybe Brent was just like, "Look, I just cannot deal with these twenty-two-year-old guys that throw ninety-six <laughs> that don't locate." Back to our original, my original point, like you know, all the things I know now, sitting here as an old man, you know, if Greg Maddox was in my ear and taught me a few things when I was actually still playing, that do less thing is so much easier to say sitting in a chair here than it is during a game. But I think that's exactly what uh, you know cause Brent to lose all his hair and, you know, like you said, to to battle back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to grind every night. We, we hear every playoffs about high leverage innings. Giving up a grand slam in that first inning makes every pitch for the rest of the night high leverage. And I think exactly. ultimately that could have that could have been the the downfall for game six, even though um, you know, even because they brought Garcia back on three three days rest. I do have a question for you. Urquidy threw one inning Kind of on your side day, I kind of thought I was thinking along that Urquidy probably could have started Game Six. That was my thought, and then you leave the young guy for Game Seven. That was my initial instinct. I don't know. I mean, is that Brent Strom's oh, decision, boy. or is this a combination? Oh think, boy, what, what are you pointing me for? Oh, no, this is great because I it's in my notes. I wrote this down. That's great. We we get to play. You know what? Two what whatever yeah. day this is, quarterback Monday, Tuesday, this is good. Thursday, quarterback. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm in. What do you got? You're no, a, you're you, a hitter, you but you're thinking along with me. I I was, and you brought in Urquidy, like you said, for that one inning, and you burned him. I I felt the same exact way. He was getting his rest. Guess who? Guess who was more rested and had pitched equally as good, if not better, in that World Series, sitting in the bullpen. Jake Odorizzi. I know Astro fans don't want to hear that name during the regular season, but you have to admit, in the postseason, he has pitched pretty well. And I thought that he might have been that better option because I was I was thinking along with you in the sense of start Jake o- or why didn't we start Jake Odorizzi on game six? You know, why didn't he come in in relief? I don't know what the what the I know there's a tough relationship between Dusty and Jake Odorizzi, but you got to put that to the side and recognize who's going well, what opportunity sets up best for this guy. And I think Odorizzi, in, like you said, in Game Five might have been that better option. Get the day off after Game Five, and when you get back home, put uh, Jose Urquidy on the bump, see if he can do something, and then maybe bring uh, Luis Garcia in in Game Seven, whatever it may be, because you know as well as I do, Game Seven is the kitchen sink. Everybody's throwing in that game, but. I man, great call. I, I thought Jake Odorizzi would have been the better guy in that situation, not just because he would have probably would have gotten you through that inning. He might have been able to give you two or three innings out of that situation because he's a little more stretched out. 
Right. The other thing is, I mean, this this goes to our original point about putting people in situations to be successful. I mean, that's really the goal yes. when you talk about where you're drafted and where you're, like, what organization you're with. And I just feel like if you want to put guys in positions to be successful, how old is Luis Garcia? Twenty two, or is he older than that? No, he might be twenty five, twenty six. Oh, okay. So maybe a little older, but, but he's a, a young rookie. guy. I mean, he, yeah, yeah, rookie. So playoffs, whatever. But. You put Christian Javier in. You made that same point. He's in a position that he's never been in before. Now you're starting a must-win game on short rest at, in, after a game where you didn't really pitch all that well. You're not going to go out there with a ton of confidence. Granted, he looked really good in the first inning, but I thought I didn't even think throwing an inning would burn Urquidy. So you're right. Odorizzi and Urquidy were kind of the two guys, but I kind of thought he threw him in there for an inning and then took him out really quickly just to get him kind of like a side day because then you have the next day off yeah. and then you're going to be starting right. the other game. I, I don't know. I just And I know he was injured a little bit this year. So I guess not second-guessing that. Now, you just provided some insight that I didn't know. You said they have a tough relationship. Um, does that mm-hmm. mean that they don't get along well or does that more mean that uh, that Dusty doesn't really trust Oda Rizzi because of the way he you know, yes. kind of – yeah. Okay. So um, it's a trust thing. I don't really trust it. It is, and it and it kind of it unfolded throughout the course of the season. Jake Odorizzi was a late sign because yep. they weren't sure if Romber Valdez was going to come off the injured list, and then it turns out he is. And Jake Odorizzi kind of you know rushed his process getting ready for the season. Came into the season, got ripped, got hurt, went back on the IL, came back from that, pitched a, pitched a couple of good starts, got ripped again. And then all of a sudden, throughout the rest of the rest of the season, when he was trying to build up his innings, and he's a guy that I really feel like, and it seemed that way, the more innings he pitched, the better he got. Yep. But Dusty never let him get out of the fourth inning. He would only get him maybe one or uh, you know two times through the order, and yep. he was taking him out of the yep. game. And there there was a little strife and a little post game comment, and, and some things going on there. So you know, I don't know if that if that was part of the reason, but it kind of felt that way just knowing the history yep. of that. Um, there's one guy I and want to talk tough, about. Like you said, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's but that's tough because you got to put that aside. I know who you're going to say. I, I have him in my notes too. So here we go. No, I, I need to get a nickname for this guy because this is a guy. This guy's name kept popping up, and he kept coming in in some crazy tough situations. Now I'm going to read off. So this guy in the ALDS through three innings gave up one hit, had three strikeouts, no walks, no earned runs. In the ALCS, he pitched in four games, went three and two-thirds innings, gave up one earned run, struck out three. In the World Series, this guy, good Lord, this guy, no earned runs, pitched in five games through five and two-thirds innings, gave up seven hits, two walks, had eight strikeouts. Phil freaking Maton. Dude, you texted me, I, I believe it was in this game, game five, where you were like, dude, this guy is a beast. And I don't know what, if call him Phil the Thrill, uh, Iceman, whatever, baby-faced assassin. This dude was lights out in the postseason, man. Phil Maton showed us something. He really did. I think I just texted you ice water at some point because- Yeah, or, he yeah was, you did. <laughs> He was coming in the toughest situations. I also think it gives, hopefully, fans, if you're really watching, he, you know, I mean, he touches 94, but he's not 97, 98. He's not this gas thrower. You look at his arm slot. I would love to see that technology where they show the arm slot and then the rotation out. His ball actually has a little lift at the plate. And his fastball, although it's like a four-seamer, 
it almost looks like a cutter rotation. So it doesn't cut, but it has that like little lift. Mm-hmm. And then that breaking ball is a hard slurve. Nobody ever says slurve. They always go, I don't know if he calls it a slider or a curve. It's like most guys that I played with, if they threw a hard breaker that went down and away like that, it's a slurve. But he throws mm-hmm. you know, an 85-mile-an-hour slurve and a 93-mile-an-hour fastball right out of the same arm slot. He pitches in really well. And I think his demeanor has a lot to do with it. He's really calm. He did elevate a few fastballs, and he would stand on that front <laughs> leg like it was kind of funny when he would lose it. But, uh, yep. but I mean, I think they've found somebody. If you can remember when the when the Astros won the World Series, they had you know three guys out of the bullpen that they could trust, and I will never remember all their names. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's how Presley became the closer. He wasn't the closer in the World Series. I believe he was a setup guy. No, they um, had Roberto Osuna. Yeah. There you go. So you had you know had Presley and Asuna, and then you had a couple guys in front of him that were solid. Yeah, so just kind of build into it. Yeah, and I just think that that's the recipe for success in the postseason. Now they have to be hot, but uh, you know that's what the Braves utilize. But man, Phil, he's impressive, and I think he made a lot of money, just like Eovaldi made a bunch <laughs> of money in the postseason. I mean, I know he's probably I you know we can look at his contract. I know he came over from the Indians. He may not yeah, be he's under club for, control for a couple of more years. There you go. But when he becomes eligible for free agency, yeah, this, keeps this vision <laughs> of being on the mound during the World Series, some GM is going to go, I want that dude on my team for the playoff run no matter what. And so he's he made himself some money. And, uh, and hopefully the Astros, he's under club control. I mean, he becomes somebody that you guys can depend on if you can put Presley and Maton together. And I don't know. I love Did you talk now, to Phil yeah. during the year at all or? I didn't have a chance to get near him, no. I, but everything I've heard about him, you know, I, I knew I know Brent Strom uh, yeah, well enough to ask him. And I'm, I'm, you know, there were two guys I asked him about. Was Yimmy Garcia also had a pretty good uh, postseason? Also, he came in in some tough situations. But those two guys, I feel like, and Strom even said this. He goes, "When I call down to the bullpen, I know that for a fact that two guys out of that bullpen will will stand up immediately." First guy's Yimmy Garcia. The next guy's Phil Maton. And uh, Strom actually told me a story. You know, I probably can divulge all these stories now. He's not with us anymore. So Let's here you go, Let's have him on Brent. the podcast. Let him tell him himself. He'll come on. He's a good guy. Oh, my guy. gosh. Dude, he's a great guy. And he's an we unbelievable We don't even have to ask him if he's really retiring. You know, maybe he knows that Bob oh, Melvin's, just Melvin's going to give him a call. I would love to pick his more. brain. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's not a bad call. He's a California guy. He went to USC. Brent Strom did. But uh, he told me, he, he goes, he goes he, you know, when he goes out to the mound, he goes, if you ever, he goes, when you see me go out to the mound for Phil Maton, he goes, he goes, can you see anything in the conversation? I'm like, no, not really. He's kind of stoic, you know, and sometimes everybody's mouth is covered and I don't know what's going on. And it, yeah, they all do that. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's a, it's either a good situation. There were some tough situations, but he said, he said, Brent Strom said he'll go out there. And the second he puts his foot on the dirt of the mound, he can hear Phil Maton go, I can get this effing guy. <laughs> so it kind of gives you an insight into the mentality of Phil Maton, where he he is a guy who wants the ball. He's not going to turn it down. He's ready to pitch every single day. And he also has that kind of that self-belief and that bravado that I can get this guy. And he just solidified it like you were talking about in the postseason of being the guy. When you start to perform at that at that level, at that uh you know, on that stage as high as it was, you're going to get recognized. And the fact that you were texting me and people on social media were going nuts about him, he's established himself as a pretty good pitcher. Yep. And he's going to make a lot of money in the game. I'm going to say one thing. um, It's funny because you mentioned this and we've talked about teammates before. 
even guys that played in the big leagues for a long time. I mean, maybe this is why I stuck around so long. The Maybe the talent level wasn't there, but man, you always wanted the guy that could do it all and that would jump up. Like, who wants to be in the game? Yes. And you know there's guys in the bullpen that hide. There's guys on the bench that hide. <laughs> um, but man, you know, what makes a collective 25-man roster is like, yeah, this guy, he'll pitch anytime. He doesn't care if it's like mop-up duty. He doesn't care if he's trying to get a hold. He doesn't care if it's closing the game. He doesn't care if it's the World Series or game 20. And it sounds like Brent Strom felt that way about Yumi Garcia and Phil Maton, and maybe those guys will be around for a while. Speaking of being around for a while, let's take a break right now, commercial break for Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'll be right back to probably talk about the World Series ending. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, welcome back, everyone. Hopefully the uh, sponsor is happy with what they had to say, and um, we'll all be utilizing that product very soon. Um, Blummer, let's finish off the World Series. Should be a short conversation, as you mentioned before. Um, ooh, Wait, hold on. I go. just I just go finished ahead. off a beer. Time for another. All right. Yes, there it is. Game on. St. Arnold. You know, I need a St. Arnold beer fridge. You're also supposed to send me some from, I know, I, I actually think it's hard to ship alcohol, but from the bet, we still haven't seen the six pack, so... I gotta talk to my guys at St. Arnold. Maybe they because I gotta get you. I do. I'm. A, we I'm gotta a figure. Out, I mean, they gotta be able to do it, don't they? Have some like truck that can drive across state lines where you don't actually have to mail it. I mean, hey, maybe the, they'll there's, send me there's a some job openings for truck drivers. I should just be a truck driver for them and like you know just Bogart one and take it down to <laughs> California. That's it. You're a you're a you're a. a, a a paid sponsor for them. You know what would be fun just to have you doing beer runs for them. Hey, we got Blummer, the color. He wants imagine? to go back to his hometown. Like oh that would be your off season job. They're paying you to drive. Dude, the beer I think you. I think we figured it out. My off season job <laughs> is going to be driving St. Arnold beer trucks right to your doorstep and there coming back, and we will start auctioning <laughs> off the the passenger seat with me oh, going across the country <laughs> into California. Yeah. Oh boy, boy, that's Whoa. well. You said auction wow. it off. I didn't. You might. You might get some. Uh, interesting companions again i all i think about hey, is as long as they pay we're good man all i think about is something about mary six why don't they just make it six minute abs you got that guy as your passenger <laughs> Do you, you want to hear the most the- annoying noise in the world <laughs> oh yeah dumb and dumber <laughs> let's stop at this let's stop at this truck stop here all right, so that noise uh, probably is how the world, uh, the Astros finished the World Series. Somebody in the dugout went. Oh, dude, I would have rather listened. I would have rather have listened to that noise than what I saw that night. Yeah. So, do you again? I we kind of touched on this subject. Max Fried 
14 and 7 with a 304. He's no slouch. He's legit. You got a potent lineup, and it is a must win game. But do you attribute kind of, I mean, I know it's disappointing getting shut out and it's a good team and all of that. But, you know, the combination of Max Fried and the momentum, like you said, when Soler hit the home run, I mean, it is a little bit that the Braves pitching was keeping the Astros in a slump, right? We talked about easing it off. Yes. I mean, what what are your kind of thoughts about how that wrapped up? And I know it's disappointing to get shut out, but. No, everybody kept talking about the, uh, you know, you talked about the first half record and the second half record, and everybody kept talking about how the the trade acquisitions that uh, Anthopolis made. And I, the, the more I looked at it, the more I realized they were offensive, you know, they were trying to replace Acuna. And that's another thing I think you need to remember with the Braves is that they won this without Ronald Acuna Jr., They're arguably their best player, uh, by far their flashiest player. Right. But, you know, that really makes them a contender next season. I, I haven't looked at their roster and understand their contracts and who's a free agent, who they're losing, who they're not, whatever. But the thing that shocked me that Tuttle's talking about is their bullpen. We had, an, you know, you know Max Freed, like you said, he, he's got the numbers to back up what he's doing. Charlie Morton breaks his leg in game one, and you're like, oh, God, now what do we do? And they put together a bullpen that came out and threw absolute pellets every single game. This Matzik guy, his story, you know, having the thing, not being able mm-hmm. to bring velocity, all of a sudden he's got 99 in the tank and can locate it, and it, he's a freak show. Uh, he actually, he was actually a guy that impressed me, not with his fastball, just his fastball, but also with his slider. He's a guy that really didn't overthrow his off speed. Like we were talking about earlier, he was a guy that really focused and located and really kind of reached out with that slider to get it on the side of it and create the movement. He did, uh, you know, mentor AJ mentor did a great job. All of a sudden he found his command and he was lights out. The only guy that they really got to might have been Luke Jackson, but he actually nailed it down in the World Series. So I was very, very impressed with what they were able to do. And I, you do have to give them credit. I know the Astros are slumping. They were, you know, I, I think <laughs> you always find this out later, but I think in the next week or two, you're going to hear about, you know, you're going to hear about somebody having an injury, somebody, you know, having a surgery, somebody trying to fight through this. We're still waiting to see, you know, if Lance McCullers Jr. is going to be okay. But I, I, I am going to make a call right here on this Bleacher Blums podcast that there, there was something awry with uh, Alex Bregman. I don't know if it was his legs or if it was his upper body or something, but there there was something there. And I think that's why he wasn't able to fire on all, all cylinders. He just didn't look right to me. Um, but they, they, they got pounded on. And yeah. when you, you know this too, when you see a team that is down, a team that is slumping, and you have the ability to put them away as pitchers, you, you are on the attack and you're burying them. And the, the, the ability of their, of their pitching staff to locate and execute absolutely put them away. And that might have been the idea. After that Solaire home run, I bet you the Astros offense went, oh, damn, how are we going to come back against these guys? They've been crushing us. You know, I think you're absolutely right in terms of the pouncing thing is true. You smell blood in the water. Mm-hmm. That's the old shark thing. I will say Matzik, I believe, Capo Valley High School out here, man. Come on, right? right what? what? That's what I heard. Yeah, I heard that. How about it? Nice. Yeah, but he's older, which is great. I mean, he like you said, he had the yips. He had to work stories. for it. He earned it. Yeah, he yeah. really earned it. And his stuff was great. Um, somebody on MLB Radio did hint to what you said, too. So a lot of this is hearsay, scuttlebutt, whatever you want to say, gossip. But they were saying the same thing that Bregman, um, you know, may still be injured. Kind of, he he fought through it this year, and 
I mean, he's a gamer. He's a good player. You could see him battling. They move him down the order. He got a hit. But I always feel like being injured, if you're truly injured, and you know this, I mean, when you hurt your uh, your ribs or your intercostal and you had a bunch of issues there at the end, um, mm-hmm. it's like having a toothache, man. A toothache will rock your world. I mean, have a toothache for three days and you got a headache because of that and you don't think straight and you're like, you can't put it together. It's really challenging. And so it'd be interesting to see if he's injured. But, you know, it all has to come together. We can have the warm and fuzzies and the, you know, I really liked, I will say this, Dusty Baker, hand, that the first words out of his mouth at the post-game press conference were money. And I think that just comes with years of experience. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves. This hurts like hell. This hurts a lot. But congratulations <laughs> to them. We'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. And that, And that's, you know, sitting on my couch, it makes me feel good. I hate when you hear the people, well, you know, we had some injuries and there were things that were happening and you know we you know we couldn't seem to get this going it's like great nobody cares at that point mm-hmm. so i mean it's unfortunate season came to an end and uh and we are where we are hey blummer i have a question for you so bring it being a player and my mom asked me this question which is hilarious but she goes how's blummer handling the uh the result of the world series it was something along those lines mom i'm not sure you sound like that but it's a little lighter than my voice <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, I don't honestly know. I said, my guess would be that, you know, yes, you're part of the organization and yes, you're pulling for the Astros and you understand them and you know a lot of the inner workings. But being a player, you know, kind of takes your blood, sweat and tears. You're working super hard. You have a mental uh, as well as a physical investment in the outcome. And I think you kind of learn to distance yourself. But uh, I'd love to hear it from you in terms of like, what is the difference, you know, when the season ends as a player and you know you're coming back the next season? Like, does the work start that day? And, you know, I know you're planning your vacations and all that. <laughs> but it's, I, I always felt like the mental taxation of a season was way more than the physical, especially as you got older. Oh, like, man. am I coming back? And, and we'll get to Buster Posey, who announces retirement today. But I think that that's what you heard in his speech and his voice when he had his presser today. So, as a player, as a broadcaster, give us some insight into like what what you think that you know the key differences are and how you're feeling and how does the Blum household feel? They gotta all be Astros fans. <laughs> no, they all are. And they're all invested too, you know, and, and, and that's probably been the most fun is is being able to have some fun and be a fan with my daughters instead of having them be fan and me be player. Um, you know, that's one of the things that's probably most unique now is the ability to sit back and kind of be the not not necessarily a father figure, but be be close enough, be a fan, but be closer than a fan, and actually say, you know what, these are my guys, and watch them ride it out, watch them fight as long as they did. I am disappointed in them, but I'm able to cut I'm able to cut the season loose a lot quicker. I don't know, you know, why or how. I'm able to shift my focus away, and it's mostly because I wasn't in it. And I'll talk to that in a, in a second. But when I'm doing the broadcast, you know, if they win a game. I will think about how they won it, and if they lose a game, I will think about how they lost it, but I will I will immediately cut the cord on that game and move on to the next. And that's just my ability to be invested, but not emotionally and physically invested in the situation. I'm invested because it's my job at the time, but when I go into the next game, I'm going on to the next game. You know, I don't I don't have to physically prepare. And I think that's where the mind kind of gets involved too. As a player, you had to get mentally charged with your body to go out and perform. 
But as a broadcaster, I'm disappointed. I want, it, but the reason I'm disappointed is not for me, it's for them. I wanted them to go out and win, especially here in 2021. You know, I take as much crap, I probably don't take as much. I take a lot of crap online, social media wise, from fans, you know, but not as much as the players do. I don't take that kind of heat. I take a different kind of heat where I'm just guilty by association and people start throwing darts at me and I start fighting back and getting sassy and talking smack. But you know, it's different for, I wanted to see them actually win this thing the right way and according to the rules and, and it just basically tell everybody we, we can do it the right way. I know that they made it to the World Series and that's an accomplishment and they were the last two teams standing. So that speaks volumes to them being able to do it the right way. And that's what I wanted them more or less to do is be able to put on a ring, maybe fit it on one of their middle fingers and say, hey, we won the championship the right way. Now, as a player, uh, on seasons where we were losing, man, I could check out and get out of that season in a hurry. I was like, dude, I want to wash this one away. I know what adjustments I need to make in the off season. I'm going to give myself about two weeks, you know, two, three weeks of downtime, vacation time, get back with the kids, roll around a little bit, try and unplug from that previous season before I start getting back in the gym and start working out. But, uh, when you lose and when you lose postseason games, I've lost, I've lost game 163 in 2007 when I was with the San Diego Padres. We played. We had to play an extra game against the Rockies uh, to see who was going to go to the postseason. They ended up going and actually making it to the World Series. So that that added to the sting of not sting making more, that yeah. postseason. Yeah, because you're going, man, if we would just beat them, we would have been in the World Series. Um and then uh, 2006, I get back with the or two, the year prior, 2006, we were actually in the playoffs, got knocked out by the Cardinals. We just got beat. And I think the Cardinals actually went on possibly to win that World Series. But it was just, man, you sat there and watched. It's hard to watch a team party on the field and then keep going. And you're just going, damn, dude, that could have been us kind of thing. So those are a little bit harder to unplug from. And I think mentally those stay with you a little bit longer. Um, you know, I got a great question. We got a great, great question yeah. to the Bleacher Blums online, and it was uh, from Cody. And it said, can you guys explain the mentality behind the moment the game is over? I quit and had to get a box to get my stuff in the office. You know, it's how do you, are you immediately checking out? What are you doing? Like, what is that process? And you played in some championships at the end of a season. You've played extended seasons at the end of the season mm -hmm. what was it like for you when you were in double a triple a winning these championships and what you know how did that end of the season progress for you and then i'll kind of speak about a couple of my opportunities in the big leagues yeah no it's great i it's funny that you say that because i haven't thought about those things in a long time i mean winning is great and that's what your goal is but i almost feel like the crash at the end of the year was harder when you won it all which is it sounds silly i mean not winning the world series but you extended it um, momentum. No, but you won a championship, didn't you? Yeah, we won a double A championship. So you won. The, so you won a championship. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, it, oh, yeah. it, it's a different level, yes. But you you were the last team standing. Yeah, three times we won. I have a I have a couple oh, rings. Damn. They're not fancy, but yeah, we won. Yeah, we won an A ball championship in the Carolina League. I won the California League championship, and then a, a Texas League. The Texas League was you know big deal. We got yeah. a nice ring for that. But um. But isn't that weird? So kind of like you, I, I was never, you're not checked out, but if you're not going to get called up or you had a good season, like what have a year where I got, I made the all-star team and they got promoted and then the season ends, you're with these guys that all want the same thing and you're just looking forward to either winter ball or spring training or whatever it is. 
So that's fine. But there was a year where we won and you did the champagne thing and you say goodbye to everybody and you kind of left on a high. But the drive home, you know, for me in Texas League, it was funny, you know, you drive whatever, two <laughs> days home and you're kind of like, you know, wah, wah. Like, yeah, you won it all, but you're driving home by yourself and you're kind of like, oh, this is, this is crazy. So not as exciting as you would think after a year when you won it all. I think the World Series, when you end up on The Tonight Show and, you know, your World Series <laughs> share Winfrey. check. Yeah. yeah, your World 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 Series share check is coming in the mail. Like, there's there's some positive things. Like, Ronald Acuna, he could be disappointed, but I, I, I guarantee he's getting a full share. And, you know, he's a big part of that team. So there are Good some chance. things that can... There are some things that can ease the pain if you're, uh, if you're, you know, because it's hard to come down from something like that. It's a big deal emotionally. Um, the the finish to that tweet was um, the quote uh, from Cody from Cody Cody. How about that? That's good. I got a new nickname for Cody. Um, was just about um, you know what is the off season like for a player, and so I'll just tie that mm-hmm. championship feeling into. I mean, you know. I think it's funny, like you said, yeah, you want to take some two two or three weeks off, and you always give me the thumbs up when I say this, but it's mostly mental, not physical. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a grind every day. BP at four o'clock and do your conditioning. And, you know, are you up or down that night? Are you, like you said, are you in the starting lineup or are you on the bench? You're like, you're just always on. And if you're not on, um, you're probably not going to make it, you know? I mean, it's you have to be yeah. on and you have to almost train yourself when to flip the switch, you know? And I think uh, in the off season, it really is a nice time to decompress and you know, kind of just turn the turn the mental side of it off. Where it's like, hey, I know I need to stay in shape. I'll go running, but you don't have that mental pressure that you put on yourself for success every day. So I always enjoyed the off seasons. Um, and honestly, like most things, if that's your job and that's what you get paid to do, you got itchy right around Christmas, right after Christmas. <laughs> You know, so you could ride it out like two, three weeks, and now you've already started your program. But right after Christmas, like January 5th or 6th, you're like, you were just itching to get back because the waiting is sometimes much more difficult than the actual, um, you know, than the actual playing and the the mental toughness. So I think it just, here's a quick analogy, and then we got to hear your stories. The quick analogy for me is kind of like having kids. You know, you have one kid, and the kid keeps you up at night, and you're changing diapers, and you're feeding them like that, and you're like, oh. We finally got out of that. The baby's three years old and they're sleeping and all oh, right, we got this good. And guess what you do? You have another kid or three kids or two kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. oh, like what is wrong with us? Didn't we? And I think the baseball season was always like that. It's such a grind. At the end of the year, it can be challenging. Even if you win it all at the end, it's like, all right, there's this abrupt stop to it. And then you take a little time to decompress. And then you're like, all right, this is great. I feel relaxed. I feel, And then you cannot wait to get back to spring training. And that's what I always remember about how that went. And I, I, I'm assuming you felt some of the same things, but give us, give us some insight into how your seasons ended both good and bad abruptly. Obviously the 2005 season was uh, a different story. And then, um, you know, what were your thoughts either heading back to spring training or, you know, knowing what was ahead? No, there were some good ones and bad ones. Obviously when I was with the Montreal Expos and Tampa Bay Rays, I was making vacation plans in June because I knew we weren't going to make it anywhere. And that was probably the most disappointing thing is knowing that you're already planning for the off season in the middle of a season. So you're just trying to get your numbers, get the next contract and, and try and solidify your position on a roster somewhere. Uh, in 2005, Dude, we 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 celebrated the championship for about 
you know, we went through the, we kind of went through the motions, you know, you pop the champagne, you have the speeches, you kiss the trophy and you, you get your family involved and you're, you're with your family on the field. You're taking pictures. You're really embracing the moment. You're answering 9,000 questions from media and you go back in the clubhouse. And my brother was actually there with me. He got to come back in the clubhouse with me. That's and great. It, it was amazing. But we, we sat down and he grabbed me a beer and handed me the beer as I sat in my chair. And literally, you, you know, you sit and you just kind of, uh, it feels like every bone in your body just disappears and you turn into this, this blob of meat that has just been grinded for, uh, you know, for eight months. And you talk about the mentality. You're grinding in a World Series situation. Your emotions are involved in this thing. You are spent in every aspect. And it was hilarious because not only was I the one slouched in my in my chair, 24 other guys were doing the same thing. Yeah. We just kind of sat there and you just kind of gave these nods around the clubhouse. You know, you wanted to go out there and hug the guy and go, man, great job. But you just kind of, that that, you know, that end of the Hollywood movie where you just kind of Give that nod. That's enough said. That's exactly how we went around the clubhouse. You just kind of looked at Paul Konerko and you went, dude, we did it kind of yeah. thing. And that was awesome. Uh, you know, I packed up my stuff from Chicago because that was the end of my contract. You know, I didn't know where I was going to be. But uh, for the years that I was with the San Diego Padres and the years I was with the Houston Astros, which was beautiful because I lived in Houston when I played there, I didn't pack up my locker. I left it. I'd go back to the stadium and work out in San Diego. I got to leave my locker. I didn't have to pack. I would go and work out at Petco Park. So those were some of the best ones. And like I said, three weeks, you know, two, three weeks after the season, you start to get the itch. You're like, oh man, you know, I got to get my body moving a little bit or that internal clock starts to tick and you're going, okay, I'm getting kind of fidgety. You got to start getting loose, get in the gym, start getting that body back in shape and uh, everything. All of a sudden you start ramping up, you know, there's two seasons. There's well, I guess there's three seasons because you've got the preseason with spring training where you're just kind of getting loose, ready for the season. Then, of course, the regular season. And then the offseason is actually a season for us ballplayers because like Tuttle was talking about, you just don't roll out of bed, lift a couple of weights, a couple stretches and start throwing and start hitting. You know, it's in the gym for a month trying to get limber again, trying to get that muscle that you lost playing eight straight months, trying to get some of that mass back because that's what I did. I don't know if you did, but I would try and bulk up I would try and get thick in the off season. So when I went to spring, I would shed some of that weight and then go into the season, you know, kind of svelte and feeling good. Svelte. But uh, in the off season, I tried to try to put it on a little bit and get a little bit thicker and try and get that swing before I got that swing ready. I just wanted to keep my arm loose mainly. I mean, I, I remember mm -hmm. just wanting to be in shape and conditioning and working on, you know, leg strength, things like that. But uh, yeah, I don't remember trying to bulk up so much, but also, you know, I'm old. So 20 years ago, we didn't really... You know, 20, 25 years ago, we weren't so keen on, um, you know, we had like personal training and you knew what to do, but I wasn't like, all right, I need to do like lean muscle mass and then I need to shed weight. And I mean, I just wanted to make sure my arm was in shape and that I was in shape and I was taking good care of myself. And then I figured to your point, like spring training, you know, pitchers, man, PFP and like, all right, do the fake to third, throw to first, like step off the mound, throw to the second baseman, like that initial stuff is just like, ugh. You know, so mm -hmm. the minute you got back and you started doing that, you're like, this is what I wanted to race back for, PFPs? Like, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> spring not, training gets old real quick. Uh, it really does. Isn't that funny? Six weeks, you're like, Ooh, yeah. are we really here it's for a, six that's, weeks? That's a long, yeah, that's a I long know. time. Hey, dude, guess what? As good as the Giants were this season, they're losing a player, mm -hmm. dude. 
Not to injury. Big announcement. Uh, I think it was t- tonight or last night. Today. Their all-star catcher, Buster Posey, the, the face of the franchise, is retiring. How are you doing, my Giants friend? Yeah, you know, I actually thought he would come back for one more, to be honest with you. I mean, I just thought 107 I kind of did, season. too. Crawford signed that two-year deal. I kind of was like, oh, he might be in the same boat. Yeah. I mean, his locker, he never would have to change his locker. He'd go work out there in the offseason. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was he's very candid. He was always really cerebral. It's so funny how you just get a, such a different mix of guys in the clubhouse. Like Buster Posey was just a naturally gifted guy. I know he was a high pick, and he was really famous at Florida State for playing like every position in a game where he pitched, caught, and played every other position. But <laughs> you know, he was always just a really mature guy, and we've talked about that on this you know podcast before. Where it's like, man, I just wish I had some of that maturity, like um, you know, when I showed up. And I think um, uh, Gaddis talked about that when he was on the podcast, right? He just said, "Man, it just took me a while to figure some things out," you know. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what happens. Like, it, we all need to figure mm-hmm. things out. I feel like Buster Posey had it figured out, like, right when he was drafted. I, I mean, he didn't spend a whole lot of time in the minor leagues, came up, and the Giants won a World Series in 10, 12, and 14. You know, he's a seven-time All-Star. He only played in the big leagues for 12 years, I think. 12 years of service. Yeah. I mean, seven-time All-Star, gold glove winner, batting title. I mean, like, you know. I'd say he he kind of did it all. So it's a little disheartening after a 107-win season that he's thrown in the towel because I think he's like that cornerstone guy that you could see if he came yeah. back for another year, he could hold the, you know, they always say the glue guy, right? Like he's more than the glue mm-hmm. guy, but he could hold the staff together. We've been talking about Logan Webb and my favorite team um, as they lost to the Dodgers. But uh, it's a little disappointing in that it's going to be very hard to replace him. And I think to expect a 100-win season out of the Giants next year um, without him is going to be uh, a pipe dream, to be honest with you. No, I agree. He Buster Posey, uh, MVP, seven-time All-Star, gold glove winner, batting title winner, rookie of the year in 2000, what was it, 2009 or 10? 10, I believe. Hold on a sec. Yeah, 2010, he got the MVP. Two years or two years later in 2012, yeah, uh, and a four-time Silver Slugger behind home plate. My question to you, David Tuttle. I was going to ask you that. There, no, I'm asking you, man. All you're right. you're the aficionado. Well, I'm you just back named you off the resume. There you go. It's, yeah, well, that's what I'm trying this, to do. I'm trying to pump this, this guy up. All right. Okay, career 302 hitter. Fit, he finished with 1500 hits on the nose, 729 RBIs, 158 home runs. Is he a Hall of Fame catcher? Yes. I'm biased, though, but he is. That's okay. You can be yeah. biased. That's the beauty of Bleacher Blums. You're a co-host. You get to you be know, biased, man. There you go. Yeah. No, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, I think, you know, what they said about, you know, Eli Manning, who I, I'm still on the fence about Eli Manning, but I think most people have convinced themselves that the two Super Bowls get him in. The fact that he was rookie of the year in the first year that they won it, 10, and then 12 and 14, it's kind of like Bochi gets a lot of credit as he should. What who's the cornerstone of that, you know, of that run, 10, 12, and 14? I mean, you got Brandon Crawford mm-hmm. and you have you have Buster Posey, and Buster Posey runs the whole pitching staff. And I just think um, you know, I, I, we talked about his numbers. I mean, how many catchers hit 300 than in the Hall of Fame? And if you take the 12 years that he played, 1500 hits, if you have you know, 16 or 18 years in the big leagues, what does that amount to? 2,000 hits, 2,200 hits? If you're a catcher with 2,200 mm-hmm. hits, I mean, I think if you got six or seven more years in, obviously the broken ankle and 
He's got young kids. Yes. He's got four kids. There are things that are more important in life, but I just think his resume stands for itself. And I think, honestly, today at the press conference, he doesn't care if he gets into the Hall of Fame or not. He, he's a giant forever, and I think sometimes that that actually works in his favor. Like, he's leaving now. Mm-hmm. If he cared about the Hall of Fame and nothing else, he might play two or three more years. But I think you can extrapolate those numbers out to match against any catcher. And I yeah. I asked you off air about Johnny Bench. I mean, I don't know what Johnny Bench's lifetime average was. He was much more of a power hitter, but, you know. Well, I tell you what. I mean, if you, if you take, you know, they're going to take Buster Posey's numbers and compress it into a seven-year time frame, and he probably would match up with some of those guys and some of the projections. But there are 16 catchers in the big leagues. Johnny Bench was a career 267 hitter. Granted, he had 2,048 hits, played forever. Mm-hmm. But uh, Buster Posey's a career 302 hitter. And like you said, the championships have to go a long way. That's not even including some of his postseason numbers that he put up. Um you know, Yogi Berra is the all-time leader for catchers in RBIs with 1,430, and Buster Posey is sitting at 729. Uh, the career leader in hits is Pudge Rodriguez. Now, Pudge played forever. Yeah. How about the fact that Pudge Rodriguez has 2,844 hits and has a career average of 296? That dude That's, was unbelievable. There you go. That guy could hit. I faced him in Puerto Rico. Yeah. I'm sure he got a hit off me. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to play with him, and I thought he was one of the best. And, you know, obviously Mike Piazza qualifies as a catcher, playing most games as a catcher, has 427 home runs. But uh, he would be the seventh catcher if he gets inducted in the Hall of Fame to hit th- over 300 for his career. There's plenty of guys right around 1,600 hits. There's a couple – there's one guy – there's, I mean, all these old school dudes. I don't know how they get in here. They should be removed. <laughs> so Look bad. At you, and then, then they would give yeah. it. Right. Well, t- tell me this. So you're reading off the numbers, and we're all over the board. I mean, do you think he's a Hall of Famer? If I had just asked you the same question, three Not World first Series ballot. championships. Huh. But is he a Hall I'm of Famer? I'm not putting him in on the first ballot. That's I think fine. eventually he does get in because you're going to start to you know extrapolate these things and look at some of the peripherals and some of the analytics that we look at now. And just looking at some of those career numbers, those are where he kind of jumps and you're like, oh, yeah, production-wise, phenomenal. Consistency, phenomenal, you know, in leadership. And I don't th- I think catching might be one of those positions where you can't discount what he did behind the plate too. Uh, there was a great interview from Jeremy Affelt kind of breaking down one of his World Series appearances with Buster Posey and how Buster kind of you know, got him through that whole situation. So I think catchers kind of, you know, bring with them a little extra baggage to the party and say, hey, I I put up these numbers while catching and carrying a pitching staff and playing the game the best I could. And I think that goes a long way. And, you know, moving forward, Yadier Molina is going to end up in the Hall of Fame too. But I just think that for me, Buster Posey currently, it may be not a first ballot guy, but I think he gets in, yes. Awesome. What's the difference between first ballot and not? I mean, who are the first ballot? No doubt. There's unanimous. Oh, okay. Yes. So like Mario. Well, I mean, Rivera, the only unanimous Derek guy Jeter. was, uh, yeah, Jeter, yeah. Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, guys yeah, like that, gotcha. you know. Yeah. Guys that There's came into the outright. big leagues knowing they were going to be in the Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah, no, they had true. the pedigree. Like Ken Griffey Jr. Like, all right, that guy, you know, pick one, one overall and then had a season, yeah. or, you know, had seasons where he backed it up. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. But that pretty much that, that nails it down. I think we're pretty in agreement on that. He'll be in yeah. the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think so too. Well, as long as we agree on that, that's what I said. I didn't know if you thought he was a Hall of Famer. I mean, I think he. Yeah. You know, 
the, if Eli Manning's in with two World Series championships and his numbers, I got to think. I know I'm I'm cross comparing sports, which isn't fair, but no, but there's some you know, similarities that, there. The three World Series championships as a young guy and the fact that he was a catcher and ran all the pitching staffs. You know, Zito, he took yeah. Zito through a game six pretty well. Um, the AFELT breakdown, I've heard that. It's fantastic. I mean, you start thinking about how much he really helped the staffs, the staff. Um, I think, yeah, I would agree, Hall of Fame. And that makes it the offseason for us. I mean, we've got some hot stove stuff that we we were going to be trying to pay attention to. Major League Baseball has a CBA agreement that they have to iron out before we get this season started. There is going to be a lot going on. One thing I can confirm is that Yulieski Guriel, the first baseman for the Houston Astros, will be back next season for the Houston Astros. They both agreed to pick up the option for $8 million on him. So Yuli Guriel will be all of his hair and everything. The American League League's best hitter will be back for the Houston Astros with an $8 million option. Plenty going on in the offseason. But it is officially the offseason for us, Tuttle. Um, I want to send something out to the fans. I want them, whoever listens to this, you can get to Tuttle at Real David, David Tuttle on Twitter, myself at Blummer27 on Twitter, or you can reach out to at uh, Bleacher Blums on Twitter and Instagram. I need some off-season watching. I need some off-season viewing. Give me your best movies, best TV shows. I need, I need, how about a book too? Maybe a book or two to throw in there too. Just give me something to do this off-season other than grind away on Tuttle about what's happening in this off-season when he actually works his real job. And uh, I'm going to get my golf swing right, and I'm going to take recommendations for TV shows, movies, and books that uh, I, I hopefully can get to. But Tuttle, is there any? Th- is there a TV recommendation that you're on right now if you're watching anything? That's funny that you said that. You know, I'm going to pirate whatever people tweet at you. If they tweeted at you, please tweet it at me. Uh, yeah, tag at us Real, both at Real David Tuttle because I need uh, yeah, or at Bleacher Blums because uh, I'm sure Marcus. Oh yeah, our favorite Mark Ramos producer wants some stuff to watch. So how about this? So this is my answer to your question. I didn't know it was coming. Today is Ralph Macchio's 60th birthday, everybody. <laughs> and Ralph Macchio turned 60 today, and I heard an old interview, but uh, the first episode of Cobra Kai, I guess they have a couple uh, episodes. I have not watched any of it, was not interested in it. Ralph Macchio said 40 million views. Damn. And I guess he owns a he owns a car a car dealership or like kind of a used car dealership, and uh, Johnny Sweep the Leg uh, comes up to the car dealership and he's down on his luck. And that's the beginning of the Cobra Kai series. And so I don't know, 40 million viewers can't be all that wrong. Right. I mean, we're an old crew Either and that so or I'm, we're trying to live in the past. They, I'm, I'm there too. I mean, look, Johnny and, yep. and, uh, you know, and wax on wax off may work for me. Mm-hmm. I know there's no more Pat Morita, but I, I'm tempted to watch at least episode one of Cobra Kai. So maybe you guys can commit to go. me. Uh, that, that have you seen Cobra Kai? I've oh. seen the first episode. I oh. haven't watched anything since. Damn it! So but we'll see how we, it goes. Maybe I get back on right. it. But I also no, watch. I'm, right. I'm tandem watching with my wife, who has absolutely zero interest in any of this. So it's like yeah, I've got to I've got to find time on my own to watch these by myself because right. I'm kind of intrigued, to be honest with you. Yeah, me too. And then what's the other? Uh, oh, I want to watch the uh, the morning show. I guess with Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston. Oh, but, uh, I'm, I'm deep in that now. Oh, yep. look at that. So I'm, I'm giving you Second nothing season. right now. I'm giving you, I watch a lot of other stuff, but that's why we're asking the viewers. That's the bottom line. Yeah, so I'm going to give Cobra Kai episode one and uh, 
Let's hear anything else uh, that you guys have. Same with books. Audible books are always good. I just listened to mm-hmm. uh, Dave Grohl's book. Oh, nice. Eh, I'm stuck on the Foo Fighters, but Dave Grohl had a Rock a and Roll Hall of Fame. Time. Yeah, they got in. Shocker. He's in twice. Yeah. <laughs> just like Stevie Nicks. <laughs> Stevie Nicks got in with Fleetwood yeah. Mac and then she got inducted in independently. So They deserve it. Some people were born to do what they do, right? Yep, they were. And that's why we're on this podcast. And we want to thank everybody who listens. Obviously, subscribe, rate, review, share it with your friends. Downloads have been going amazing, so we greatly appreciate you. We are going to be in Vegas. We are almost on the cusp of confirming December 3rd, 4th, and 5th out in Vegas. Mark that on your calendars. If you want to meet us out there, hang out a little bit. We will be out there. Uh, All of the military at home and abroad, we appreciate you. Wish you all the best. Pray for your well-being and can't thank you enough for everything that you give to us and allow us to do. First responders, frontliners, essentials, you all mean the world to us. Tuttle, that's all I've got for this episode, man. I'm going to let you nail this puppy down. All right. That's all right. Veterans Day next Thursday, the 11th. So we'll certainly remember the veterans. We'll talk about that. Thank you so much. Uh, Over the age of 45, please don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. And we finish every podcast asking y'all to get after it and believe it. God, tell you're a pro. Svelte.